anti-racism that actually works. The allyship double standard. And a requiem for Black Lives Matter. Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit this podcast's episode description. Now a letter from Byan Bartning. Dear friends of FAIR, this past weekend I flew to Lexington, Massachusetts to attend a day-long conference called Resolving the Race-ism Dilemma, which FAIR was proud to sponsor alongside organizations such as Free Black Thought, An Omni-American Future, and others. This event was organized and led by FAIR advisors Greg Thomas and Dr. Sheena Mason, along with Dr. Carlos Hoyt, and focused on what Dr. Mason would call anti-race-ism. This is the belief which I wholeheartedly share, that in order to truly overcome racism in our society, we must first and foremost accept the fact that we are all part of one human race and stop seeing ourselves as interchangeable members of distinct race groups. This is the foundation of FAIR's pro-human message and approach. Every person is a unique individual with value, and we are united by our shared humanity. This is why the currently fashionable and misguided attempts to oppose racism by encouraging race consciousness and racial affinity are doomed to fail. We simply cannot hope to end racism while simultaneously making the flattening, dehumanizing, and limiting concept of race more salient, more consequential, and more fundamental to our thinking, our behavior, and our identity. I left the conference feeling inspired, and it reminded me just how important it is for all of us to help grow and sustain this incredible network of people committed to FAIR's mission of advancing civil rights and liberties and promoting a common culture based on fairness, understanding, and humanity. Dr. Hoyt mentioned at one point that he felt totally alone and that it heartened him to have colleagues like Dr. Mason and Greg Thomas join him in this pursuit. I couldn't agree more. I feel equally heartened by each and every one of you. However discouraged you may feel at times by the current cultural trends, have faith that there are more people on the side of fairness, understanding, and humanity than not. Yours, Byan Bartning. This week on our Substack, Christopher Ferguson asked whether catering to progressive demands helped the show Doctor Who, or has it contributed to a get-woke, go-broke downswing in viewership? Ferguson writes, Wokeness often invokes a more ostensible allegiance to sociopolitical narratives on the left and implied moral criticism of audiences who may disagree. Thus, the political sermonizing that came to typify shows like Law & Order SVU are arguably woke, but simply casting different races for fictional characters isn't necessarily so, although I do think creators need to be wary of double standards when it comes to cultural material. If it's bad to cast white actors in culturally non-white roles, it should be just as taboo to cast non-whites in culturally European stories. Double standards breed resentment. Definitions of wokeness also often speak to motives. Did showrunners make their choices because they made artistic sense, or to scold those with more conservative worldviews and show off their own moral bona fides to progressives? For free black thought, Fair advisor Greg Thomas explored the ways an American art form such as jazz can model American experience and potential, as well as serve as the basis for our democratic and social engagement with one another. Of course, the democratic pattern of experience and the way of life as demonstrated in the art of jazz is far from easy. To play jazz well, one has to go deep in the shed of practice and performance with others. 
to be an American citizen, living and embodying the constitutional principles laid out in our founding documents, we have to allow for the shedding of limiting identities such as racial essentialism and an embrace of rooted cosmopolitanism. For The Atlantic, Fair Advisor Shadi Hamid discussed Donald Trump's unique effect on our politics and institutions, but argued that his impact may prove more distinctive and perhaps even more lasting on an intellectual level. He writes, As president, Trump demonstrated remarkable flexibility and little regard for ideology. Self-interest trumped all, and it was his self-interest to draw a stark contrast with a Republican Party that was long-oriented around the ideas of limited government, free trade, comprehensive immigration reform, and neo-imperial adventures abroad. Through bumper sticker slogans such as America First and Make America Great Again, Trump elevated the nation as sort of a transcendent political community. In doing so, he gave conservatives permission to think beyond the bipartisan assumptions, prioritizing the individual at home and globalization abroad that had structured post-war America politics. And that consensus, if it wasn't already dead, was clearly dying. For her blog, Reality Bites, Fair Advisor Monica Harris wrote that a phenomenon is unfolding within our language wherein the words we use to create a shared understanding of our world are being redefined in real time, and discussed how this is affecting our ability to communicate on a variety of important issues. Harris writes, For more than a century, a recession has been widely recognized as two consecutive quarters of decline in gross domestic product, GDP. But as inflation has torn through the U.S. economy, this definition has changed. Now experts tell us that a decline in GDP alone isn't sufficient to pull an economy into recession. Other factors need to be taken into account, such as personal income, payrolls, manufacturing, and trade sales and industrial production. Bear in mind that all these factors contribute to GDP, which is why GDP has been the rule of thumb for determining a recession. But when half of the country thinks the economy is doing well enough to escape recession, while the other half thinks danger is imminent, they're living in different realities. Division is guaranteed. For Newsweek Opinion, Fair Advisor Eric Smith explored the double standards that when far-left Black anti-racists work with white people, those white people are known as allies. But when Black activists work with whites, those whites are not seen as allies. They are seen as handlers, puppet masters, secretly calling the shots behind the scenes. Continuing, he writes, As president of Free Black Thought, a website and journal that celebrates viewpoint diversity within the Black diaspora, I am held to that double standard. Some of the members of Free Black Thought's executive board are white, and this has attracted criticism sometimes quite vitriolic from those who either don't believe in our message or feel that the message is tainted by the mere presence of whites on the staff. We are accused of inauthenticity and deception. Yet, even though I express that the black people running Free Black Thought are free thinkers who come to their own conclusions and make their own decisions, even though the organization's president and vice president are black, and even though we show a multiracial group of co-founders on our website, the consensus among the black radical left and their white allies remain the same. Free black thought is a front for white supremacy. For Spiked, Fair Advisor Wilfred Riley offered what he calls a summation in print of Black Lives Matter, detailing how well Black Lives Matter met its initial goals, reducing the police violence that was invariably presented as epidemic or genocidal and reducing crime more broadly, as brothers and others came to trust a fairer criminal justice system. He notes, Did Black Lives Matter help any Black folks live better Black lives? A wit might ask. 
Setting aside good works by local chapters like Hawk Newsom's, a cynical but real answer would seem to be that the movement certainly helped its original founders, current leaders, and their favorite charities. As The Economist pointed out, donations to BLM, Related Causes, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, and other NGOs at the heart of international BLM between May and December 2020 amounted to $10.6 billion. And most regular American Black working men or anti-racist British punks would likely be a bit bemused to find out where most of that money has gone. For Arrow, Iona Italia wrote that despite our keen intelligence and irrepressible curiosity about the nature of the world in which we live, we humans are not primarily truth-seekers. This, she writes, underscores the importance of free speech and open discourse, and why defending it is of paramount importance. Erroneous ideas and immoral practices, she writes, can hold sway for a while. Eloquent demagogues and populists can enthrall people temporarily, doing a great deal of damage in the short term. But over long enough periods of time, through the clash of ideas, we become less and less wrong. We no longer burn witches, though we still slice off the foreskins of newborns. We no longer sacrifice our children and llamas to the gods to prevent famine, though in some parts of the world, we still kill people for violating ancient superstitions and taboos. But increasingly, we fight using words, not weapons, and we kill off bad ideas, not the people who hold them. As Karl Popper recommends, we try to let our theories die in our stead. Over the long sweep of history, we are gradually becoming less ignorant and less wicked. But for this progress to continue, we need the freedom to think aloud, to explore every idea, including those that are offensive or outlawed. For the Boston Globe, Lisa Celine Davis wrote that we on the left need to be able to scrutinize and talk about what schools and the broader culture are teaching our kids about sex and gender without being dismissed as hateful, and that silencing critiques, debate, and science is not actually good for children, whether or not they are gender atypical. Continuing, she says, I want liberals to help spread this message. There is no one right way to be a boy or a girl. And these are fundamentally biological, not social, categories of humans. It's important for scientific and medical reasons to recognize sex differences. You can be as masculine or feminine as you want to be, or naturally are. There is nothing wrong with your body if you behave more like members of the opposite sex than your own. And there are many ways to treat gender dysphoria if you feel that way. There is nothing wrong with same-sex attraction. For Newsweek Opinion, Christopher Ferguson discussed the American Psychological Association's practice guidelines for therapy with men and boys, which Ferguson argues indicate an assault on traditional men and boys. He says, I've just published what I believe is the first peer-reviewed assessment of the APA's guidelines for men and boys. What I found was a mess. Far from there being a slam-dunk link between traditional masculinity and negative mental health or behavioral outcomes, the evidence was inconsistent and, across the board, methodologically very weak. The authors of the guidelines are uniformly focused on the social construction of gender, ignoring biological inputs to both sex and gender identity. But even worse, in my opinion, the APA's report is clearly disparaging of traditional men and their families, linking traditional masculine values to an entire suite of negative mental and physical health outcomes with no real scientific rationale. For his substack, Year Zero, Wesley Yang discussed the recent protests outside of Boston Children's Hospital, and one mother in particular who had a very measured, compassionate view of the other side. Yang notes that the dozen or so protesters he encountered there were virtually all lifelong Democrats, and none are anti-trans. 
They are just not persuaded that placing their children in the pipeline to lifelong medicalization is the right choice. The dozen or so protesters who joined Billboard Chris at Boston Children's Hospital were, like the woman speaking above, virtually all lifelong Democrats who until recently shared in all the progressive enthusiasms of the Blue Tribe, of which they are a part. None are anti-trans. But having looked at the evidence around medical transition of children and conscious of the stripping out of gatekeeping and gender practices that pioneering gender clinicians have publicly blown the whistle on, they are not persuaded that placing their children in the pipeline to lifelong medicalization is the right choice. For this choice, based in evidence and consistent with the guidance recently adopted in Social Democratic Sweden and Finland, they have been branded members of the far right by the mainstream media and their own political leadership who speak in unison with the hundreds of counter-protesters who shouted at them, calling them Nazis for hours. Join Fair in Medicine on October 27th at 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Eastern for our webinar, Eugenics, The Curse That Keeps on Cursing, to hear how the timeless desire to improve the human race is still with us. The often sordid history of eugenics in the United States was explored in the 2016 PBS documentary, The Eugenics Crusade, What's Wrong with Perfect? After registering for the webinar, you will receive a link to access this documentary. You can find this link in your ticket confirmation email, and we encourage all attendees to watch it in anticipation of the webinar. Farron Medicine Fellow Mark Buchanan, MD, will moderate this webinar. Panelists include William B. Hurlbut, MD, and Robert Grabois, PhD. We want the Fair Substack to be the go-to publication for diverse perspectives on culture and civil rights. Whether you're a seasoned author or an amateur writer with a story that can contribute to our mission of promoting fairness, understanding, and humanity, we would love to receive your stories, opinions, investigations, reviews, interviews, and more. Please send your piece to submissions at fairforall.org. We hope to hear from you. Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories or visit the episode description. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org donate.